0: Welcome back to the Young Youngin Cotisol podcast. My name is Greg Lewis. Today, I continue my chat with Jose Domingo Cruz. If you want to dive into details of verbal classrooms, I encourage you to listen to part one of our conversation and access the links there in the show notes. In this episode, I bring up some of my own experiences using VC and get Jose's thoughts on how I could adjust my application of his approach to get better results. Shall we get started? Okay, I'm ready anytime you are. The next question, which is really about technology, we're talking about using verbal classrooms in, a, in an analog way in the class, mm. in a live classroom setting. Um, and of course, you've gone through the la- the pandemic like everybody else has and you've been using uh, verbal classrooms online but i'm sort of looking into the future a little bit so how do you see um the verbal classrooms fitting into current as well as future technologies as well as social uh, media platforms
1: well um let's go first with uh I-, I think you were asking how do you how do you see verbal classrooms actually merging Um, in terms of online or remote teaching and that was one of the great challenges uh, i think all of us had during the pandemic because we were like grasping for straws for things that we could do in the classroom you mean like normal textbook utilization normal textbook methods in our remote situation just a lot of them didn't work you know we're like okay everybody now work in your groups and yeah you could put them into breakout rooms but yeah um with the uh, the anxiety that kids were riding, that was sky high back in 2020 and 2021, it made it difficult. Although I had all of the success that I always have, and um, I, I want uh, to just reminds me um, for the people who were watching those videos that I have on Goldfish Three Six Five, a, a few of them are going to go, what? My students will never react like that. they're they're not gonna go. They're gonna all gonna start speaking when I say go. Um, I will say this, and I say this at every presentation. That was a straight cut video. Uh, it was barely edited. It was just basically edited for you know sectionality. Uh, and when I said go, they really just did start speaking. and mean um, it's the same reaction this semester too, some semest- semesters before it high-level, mid-level, mixed-level classes, all of the students will immediately react and one of the great magical moments for any uh, VC instructors. Holy crap, they actually did start speaking as soon as I told them to. You didn't have to police or negotiate anything. I, absolutely, now, I verify that as well, yes.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, then,
1: <laughs> and weren't you surprised? You were going, this is the first time that's ever happened, right?
0: This is so cool, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and as an instructor, if you want to have... For yourself, too, a little bit more of a feeling of success where you don't have to, like, force and pull teeth and pull, you know, cattle by the nose to get them to start speaking, um, try verbal classrooms. Now, my great trepidation during the pandemic was that, oh, geez, I don't know if that's really going to work in in uh, in a Zoom setting, in an online uh, remote class, because, you know, one of the great uh, momentum builders is the din in the classroom exactly yeah that the kids love it everybody is fighting for it and they know that nobody can hear them make mistakes and not mistake they they want others to hear them or which is great because sometimes they actually build enough confidence to speak so loudly that everybody can hear them but Mm -hmm. i thought we're not going to get that din but i know that you know the the way i set up the uh the answer question pattern or i call it the aqp that it creates kind of um a sort of I I I still sometimes wonder how I can frame the description of what I do so that pe- people can understand it in just words, but it creates kind of a momentum in the practice so that then you want to keep going as a student. Yeah. You you want mm-hmm. to go on to the next subject of verb conjugation and the uh, the question construction. And I thought, is that really going to work in remote classes? And yes, it does. Uh, And the surprising thing was, it wasn't me that pioneered it. I thought it wasn't going to work. So I was going back to sort of normal sort of um, English conversation style classes and and exercises. But my friend, Steve Payton, who was one of the co-authors of that paper that I wrote, he came Mm -hmm. back to me and said, Jose, you won't believe this. I put them in pairs in breakout rooms, and they're still doing the AQP. (laughs) <laughs> and um and uh, and, and it worked every time and you know um a breakout room yeah. is only about a minute or maybe 2 minutes which is a lot longer than what i normally do um an aqp pairing for but um he said it worked really well and at the end of the class the students really loved it so i think in terms of um general technology tech, i don't want to say creep it sounds like a bad thing but when technology comes into your classroom it just takes a little bit of an adventurous mind To take the instructions that you've given before in a normal classroom and just try to implement them. Everything is trial and error in that sense, but Mm -hmm. um, also a a sense of um, willingness to learn and adopt the technology. I think a lot of teachers kind of showed that uh, they were basically being obstinate to not want to bring technology into their classrooms. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, and um, that is always going to stop you no matter what, but... um, uh, let's see. What was one of the other things that you just said? Oh yeah, social media. I don't know which one, which question you want me to tackle.
0: Well, I, I kind of because you you're your your every time as you're speaking I keep thinking, "Oh, oh, and I want okay, to interrupt." Go you. ahead. Go ahead. No, well, no, go ahead. Well, uh, well, and maybe it's a good thing that uh, I bring up some things that uh, are ask you questions because, you know, what you're describing, of course, you're speaking of it in glowing terms and it's not a perfect approach, It's not perfect. Mm. And so I just want to bring up a couple of things that I've noticed, and yeah. curious how you address those things. Sure. So one of the first things is, yes, I have my students lined up in the morning in their in their in the rows. Uh, we, you know, we start into one of their, uh, for lack of a better term, the uh, exchanges. Drills, okay. Drills, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. drills. So starting the drills, and then when they go to switch, if it's a nine thirty a.m. class, there is a little. There's a lag in them, you know, getting up and they're just less than enthusiastic to move because uh, they do move. They change partners every minute or so. And, and I find I have to really watch the room and listen to what's going on. And I, let, I go a little farther, a little longer with a d- particular drill or I, I, I say, just stay with these partners because we're going to try something new. So I want you to stay with this partner because you're familiar with them. Uh, I might just sort of find ways to not have them move so much. So is that uh, something you've stumbled upon? Uh, I've never had that problem. Uh, I've never had the problem where, um,
1: number one, the lag between the moment I say switch and their their immediate rise to their feet became anything that I noticed. Well, what will happen is this: so they're in a, they're in a, a seated pair. We do forty five seconds, maybe a hundred and ten, se- not a hundred and ten. Sorry, about a uh, hundred seconds of work in that pair. Oh, and by the way, mm-hmm. too, um, I make it so that then when I clap my hands twice really hard so i can be heard over the din that um i try to just time it so i can hear and feel that we're just about to get to the point where the enthusiasm starts to wane just before it you don't want to get to the point where you know these students are getting tired they've they've run through the conjugation cycle seven times already um so that's why it's actually kept fairly short like 45 seconds to only about maybe 80 seconds sometimes Mm -hmm. and um they're still like yelling and shouting and having a good time. And what I do find sometimes happens is that I clap my hands really hard twice, and I still yell "switch." And some kids will not hear me because yes. there's so much noise going on. And then yeah. I and and I, we have to sort of practice that. So it it depends on how well practiced they are at the beginning to listen for the the audible signal,
0: clap, the cue. clap.
1: Mm-hmm. Switch. Uh, how do you instruct them to switch? Like, uh, what kind of sort of cues well, once, do you get? Uh
0: Well, there's a couple. One is uh, I, I usually just so I keep track of time because I'm listening. I'm kind of going up and down to see if they're, you know, they're they're conjugating their verbs correctly, you know, with he and she and it. But the, I have a, uh, a timer on my phone, and it's got a very quiet. And if the ones I walk past will hear that, and they'll they'll stop. And so I think, I'm, I think I won't do that. So that's yeah. one thing, thing mm-hmm. that's, that's there. They, they know uh, about that. Uh, but mm-hmm. when I ask them to, uh, when it's time to switch, I, just, I do just say, okay, switch. And, and they'll jump. 99% of the time, they'll jump up. Mm-hmm. But it's those first thing in the morning, <sighs> trying to get them up. Yeah.
1: The- yeah, I know what you, then I, I can, if, if that's generally the case, I, I know what you're talking about. I, I still wish... The university, I don't know about Korea, but in Japan, a lot of universities still have physical education, PE, as a credit mm. class for a first year yeah. student in every program. I'm going, what? You know, it's uh, being a university student in Canada, you go, what a waste of money. I have to pay money to take PE classes? <laughs> no, just get yeah. us a better gym. And mm. if you're going to make these students take PE, Make them take it first thing in the morning. You know, get get mm-hmm. them on their feet then, and then maybe their brains will be excited to actually go and do something else. But don't give them a language class first thing in the
0: morning. Holy yeah. crap! So
1: I think and that's it's first the thing problem.
0: Monday morning too. Oh my this god! Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Are, are you are you are you so evil that you're doing to the students what you didn't want to do when you were going to university? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you do your best with that. Uh, yeah. you, and it'll happen. But generally, oh, what I would suggest, too, with your timer is just um, mm. set it to buzzer instead. And um, and I don't even Good. use a timer. I just look at them and I go, listen. I listen mm. and they're still enthusiastic. So, you know, that old, um, what's his name? Uh, P.T. Barnum said, uh, leave them begging for more. Uh, right, right. So they, they should be at the peak of their enthusiasm to continue and you tell them to stop. And if you think yeah. they haven't done it enough, just make them do it again with another partner. Yep. Yeah, I do and that. do you give them lots of demonstrations too?
0: I, I do in the beginning, but uh, afterwards, they, they once they've got the routine, there's not too much that I do other than when I'm changing up things, if I'm introducing anything new. Um, I would still give them a demonstration per switch
1: if only Hmm. because a different kid will come up to the demonstration seat every time. And um, then they have that moment of FaceTime with the teacher, that moment when they're in front of the whole class, you know, and this maybe will only happen once or twice per class, where, particularly to of you got one kid who goes, Well, I've, you know, I've screwed this up every time. Uh, but this one time, I'm really going to like get straight into it. Now I'm going to, I'm going to do this absolutely flawlessly with, uh, with, with, uh, with, with, I want to say Greg Sensei, which is a Japanese word, but uh, with mm-hmm. Greg. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they do, they bone up for it. And you can see they're really tense for it. And they go, uh, mm-hmm. I go to you, go. He goes to she, and, and they're really mm-hmm. into it. And before they were really confused. So everyone gets a chance to shine at that moment. And everyone, mm. maybe especially, too, if you're introducing something difficult, can, can sense what's, oh, that's what we were targeting. Okay. And, two, even if they were perfect in the targeted grammar and they had perfect speed, there are little things that you can pick out. Like, hey, you got to look at me in the eyes, you know. It, it's okay. Go ahead look at the board. But when you speak, speak only to my eyes. So, um, yeah. you can all kinds of things that you can do in every demonstration and give mm. each student a chance to actually be with the teacher.
0: Well, actually to that point, you know, when I have an odd numbered class, and so there's one student, I'll sit with that student and work with them. And invariably they're the ones that are just excited to have that opportunity. So I, uh, I, I agree entirely with your, with your point about, um, mm-hmm. having that personal practice, yeah. the practice chair. Yeah. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah the yeah. other thing I, I wanted to ask is, um, fossilized errors, like mm. saying, I like movie instead mm-hmm. of I like mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those kinds of errors don't seem to improve or haven't so far with these freshman classes. They've been doing it for what? Two, two, we started in, in March, March, April, May. So we're two and a half months in. Mm-hmm. But I just, I just did some some uh, our midterm tests, which are just speaking, and I just, I hear that error, and I think, okay, so this is not changing. Is mm-hmm. that? Is it? Have you found a way to sort of address these fossilized errors?
1: Uh. <sighs> It depends on the error. It depends on the student. It depends on the class. It depends on the teacher and how the teacher conveys the instruction on how to recognize the error. Because in the end, I think, uh, you know, in my opinion, I have no science behind this. And, and one of the problems that I have about verbal classrooms when I, when I present is that I, I have to tell people I have no science I have no data or evidence it's a lot of this is just um my uh, my instinct as an instructor and observations of what goes well for me and the
0: similarity of success that other teachers have had i've no but data. you have been doing you have been doing this for 17 years i think you've been more working, like 27 developing.
1: 27 27 years
0: <laughs> so it's, it's it's pretty well uh, proven. I, it's pretty
1: well proven and i don't think it is just me uh everyone that i have uh, said try this and they sincerely tried it they come back and say holy crap that worked yeah. way better than i thought it would and I'm, I'm glad to hear that well i don't know if you're, you ever said holy crap that worked better than i thought it would but very close <laughs> okay <laughs> and um well, I'm like, oh yeah false fossilized errors there are all kinds of ways yeah. to address it. number one i think as a general rule instructors should have a, a large degree of empathy with their students whatever you're mm. teaching if it's political science if it's baseball if it's languages. And it is hard to understand the, um, the processes students, students go through when they're sincere in wanting to improve and they have certain problems. If you yourself as an instructor have not had those experiences. I think it's important for us, especially, I mean, I mean it's not impossible that you can be a really good uh, language teacher if all you have is empathy but it's good for you to understand for yourself. Why do I still have fossilized errors in Korean? Why do I still have mm-hmm. fossilized errors in Japanese? I don't know about Korean. Don't speak Korean. But um, one of the problems that um, people who are studying Japanese is Japanese, uh, and I don't know how similar it is to the problem in Korean, is is almost totally backwards in grammar from English. Same. Okay. So, Same, Korean. Same And um, then you have these um, what are called um, uh, not articles – but uh, prepositionals to tell the speaker or the, or whoever that the word has this function in the in the sentence. An object is followed by a certain kind of prepositional and the subject, etc., etc., etc. And one of the hardest things for English speakers is um, our natural tendency to want to speak in subject, verb, object. And in Japanese, there is not only the subject, there is the topic. And they are separated by the two words, wa and ga. And it is... It is almost a a legendary that that's one of the hardest things to do fluently, which is to know when to use the prepositional ga versus the prepositional wa. And as long as I've been speaking Japanese and I would define myself as fluent in Japanese, I can speak at about 130, 120 words per minute. I can prattle off sentences and full paragraphs. I can teach and I do teach in Japanese, which is the other thing I was going to say. Um, Mm -hmm. I can't fix that error easily. And I don't have any specific, I don't want to get into that because that's about Japanese, but it gives me empathy going, well, what is it about that problem that I can't fix yet? So it made me think, well, number one, uh, when I'm in the middle of a conversation in my second language, I don't have the wherewithal uh, that I do in English to both listen and speak to myself. I'm concentrating on just speaking and listening to the other person. And I thought, you know, one of the things that I'd like to explore with the use of new technology is um, to get these kids using either Moodle or just even their phones to have impromptu, unrehearsed, extemporaneous, whatever word you want to use, conversations with another partner, maybe in a group of three. Um, They set up three of their cameras. So one person recording themselves and another person recording themselves. And, and they all hand, that, hand those videos in to their LMS or by email, whatever you want to use. And um, it's accompanied by a group conversation about each other's m- mistakes or their, uh, where they should improve or what is a fossilized mistake. Or you made that mistake more than three times. Maybe you should work on that to make them aware somehow using whatever means, if it's new technology or it's just peer feedback, to do what they cannot do themselves uh, as first language speakers i mean if i wanted to learn stand-up comedy stand-up comedy is is there are so many skills involved in stand-up comedy there's um there's a guy i'm seeing a lot on my facebook feed his name is i think matt rife and one of the things that he does so well is he just bounces off the audience and how do you learn how to do that what kind of a a training process what kind of instinct sort of um, improvement process do you do that well takes years and years of experience and the willingness and the self-awareness to actually listen to yourself as you speak that's something we can't do in our second language so easily because we're struggling with just words and grammar but maybe somehow get these students sort of um, peer feedback with each other primarily for themselves and use multiple modes of um, making them see how to use their brain. So one thing that I was planning on doing is at some point, um, you know, as the students are speaking, we're talking about, let's say, the beach, okay? And we're seeing mm-hmm. that as a topic and they're all talking about whatever they're talking about the beach. I'm gonna hold up a picture of, you know, um, what? Can of Coke, can of Coke, right? Okay. Can mm-hmm. of Coke, and I'm not gonna say anything, but they all know that if I hold up a picture, it's can of Coke and they're gonna go, Oh, it's and I, I hate coke I, I Coke is the worst drink it makes me fat I'd rather drink beer if I'm gonna be fat I'd rather drink beer and some kid is going coke my favorite my favorite drink uh, I don't say coke because that makes me think of cocaine or whatever but just mm-hmm. an image prompt to get them to suddenly change the subject makes them sort of understand that okay coke it's pronounced coke Okay, I've got to be able to do this while I'm speaking. And you can do the same thing with like apostrophe S or plurals. Mm. Say, okay, now Mm. for the next 30 seconds, focus just on plurals. And
0: uh, focus. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah.
1: Or um, uh, what's another fossilized error? what, what are the fossilized errors of, of Korean students?
0: Well, there's pronunciation. The the, the you know f p v b those, those ones. I think they're very similar in, in Japan as well. Uh, as vowel sounds that they simply don't have them in uh, in Korean, so then they struggle with. Uh, how they would sound? Just for example, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to walk. Yeah, I'm going to walk, but they mean work. Walk uh-huh. and work sound exactly the they're same. Japanese kids do. You know.
1: No, not exactly yeah. the same, but they. It's very confusing for them.
0: I, I think that the, the that's an excellent idea. Uh, what you're saying is is you know showing them something, getting them to focus on that. And I totally agree with you that the that processing that's going on as they're trying to. Say something in the second language. The, any fossilized error is—it's just going to come out. They haven't got the the capacity in their brains to to necessarily fix that all the time. Yes. And much like what you're saying with record a video recording, uh, an audio recording where they can just focus on listening to it is sort of something I've been thinking about. Have you ever tried shadow talking? Do you know what that is?
1: Yes, yes. Mm. If uh, if you've done the variations of shadow talking. Uh, Besides just plain old shadow talking, one of the um, things that you can do is um, go paragraph by paragraph of whatever the script is or by 15 second chunk by 15 second chunk. And you first shadow talk, then you stop and listen to it. And then they circle all of the little places where they probably think they're going to make mistakes, like uh, the plural Mm -hmm. S or the apostrophe S or wherever else. And um, you tell them, okay, now as you're shadow talking, again, pay particular attention to that little place that you circled and shadow talk it and uh, listen to it and say it as clearly as you possibly can. Um, there are all kinds of things like you, uh, you, what I call shadow talking and pointing. So I think one of the keys is that um, there is nothing that replaces simple repetitive practice. And I know that some people, you know, they'll say, oh, that's so boring. When I first started showing verbal classrooms around to people and they didn't quite get it, one of the first reactions uh, is that those are just drills. Drills aren't communicative. And I would react and say, well, no, they're not meant to be. Uh, The communicative aspect of things come much later in what – Verbal classrooms does, but if you're just talking about the AQP, the AQP is an absolutely necessary thing. Uh, If you're trying to get these kids to suddenly become communicative, when throughout all of the years of their education, from junior high school to high school, that was the only emphasis they ever had. Okay, now that you've learned the past participle for all of these verbs, let's communicate. But you never (laughs) gave them a chance. Um, any sports coach yeah. will tell you that, yeah, the games are much more fun. You play uh, or you practice a sports so that then maybe you can have fun and enjoy a championship with your friends. But the role of practice, how important is that? It's that important to languages as well.
0: Completely agree. And I think that's probably why I did not uh, lean towards this sort of uh, approach where where it's just repetitive because it seemed like, oh, we shouldn't be uh, not, luckily, things are changing. I, 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 I don't want to you know
1: rag on communicative approaches either. They're very important. Place. you know they, they mm-hmm. very much have their place. It's just that um, it was so binary. Uh, and it still is to a degree, you know, um, I think in Japan, there's still this idea that, oh, the uh, the quotation marks, native speakers handle communication because they can't teach grammar. So that's OK for us Japanese teachers to teach tests uh, like IELTS and TOEIC and grammar because we can't really speak like native speakers. And I'm going, no, no, we all have to do all of this stuff together or else we're just we're stereotyping what uh, certain teachers do in, uh, or the roles of certain teachers in, in, in language,
0: uh, language learning. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, yeah. So what's what's next on your agenda? What's coming up next year or five years or 10 years down the road? I, I hate to be pessimistic, but I think my 15 minutes of fame
1: are up, maybe, at the end of this podcast. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I don't think people are as interested in listening to me speak as they were before because um, the whole need to have me come and talk about technology and especially too, what I became famous for was uh, my knowledge of of zoom um hmm. I wrote a book on zoom and um and it, it it almost came as a demand of the people that I hung around with on online teaching Japan a Facebook group oh by the way before I forget um if you search mm-hmm. for me goldfish 365 on Facebook or goldfish 365 on Instagram I actually have mm-hmm. um news feeds there where I try to come up with little snippets of information for both teachers and students that they can use to improve their fluency. Uh, another place that I hung out in Facebook was called Online Teaching Japan. And I tried my best during the early, very early parts of the, the panicky parts of the pandemic to help people with Zoom. And that reputation brought me to the point where um, um, Dorothy Zemak, Actually asked me, headhunted me to write a book uh, for her publishing house. Oh, very On good. Zoom, yeah, and that was that was my book. But the mm, pandemic is um, sort of approaching. Uh, it, it's there aren't enough people panicking about Zoom anymore that they're going to want to buy a book. Uh, my book probably needs a second edition because there's been so many changes to Zoom. A lot of the buttons have moved and stuff. And I don't know uh, where verbal classrooms will go. I'm still going to try to see if I can get some attention for it. Not just because I I do like talking in front of people and I like uh, like being with people, but more than anything else, I want to spread the word about VC because I really do think even as just as a warm-up or uh, a way to target certain aspects of your textbook, it is, in my opinion, the best way to run um, a language classroom. And I've had people tell me, oh, yeah, I, I do this um, when I teach French and I do this when I teach Spanish, too. AQP works still. Oh, that is well. great.
0: Yeah.
1: And and actually, the AQP, the answer question pattern, was inspired by my memories of, of what I learned in my French language uh, classroom. Did you ever study <laughs> Spanish or French?
0: Well, French a little bit in high school. It Just when I was into high school and I didn't have to take it then. Okay. So you remember uh, all straight, the,
1: was, was... je suis, tu es, il est, elle est. In yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. That's
1: what I based <laughs> yeah. the AQP on. So just that conjugation, then pair it up with a question, then move on to the next conjugation, and then keep sliding off the subject so that then it's your brain is constantly having to fight to get to the next point.
0: You've talked about publishing another book, which Mm. I think is a great idea to actually get it into the whole image, the words, everything into a book. Uh, so what's the timeline on well, that? Well, thank you for reminding me. That's. I think you were trying to set me up <laughs> to
1: talk about my next book. <laughs> yeah, uh, there, um, yeah, Dorothy and I have been talking about me getting this book written uh, for Josh now. Uh, well, ever since I finished teaching with Zoom 2, which was in 2021. So here we are now. Uh, well, yeah, pretty much almost two years later. And I hope mm. that I can put pen to paper or, I don't know, Pen to tablet, I I write on my iPad, and um, uh, get at least an outline and a rough draft out of my head onto paper. Because um, the more I sort of sketch out the outline to what would be a book about verbal classrooms, the more I realize how many things I have running around in my head that I Mm -hmm. don't elucidate either well or at all in presentations, because it's just all there in the background. Like how I demonstrate to my students, what I look for, uh, when I'm trying to help problems in pace control and smoothness, what I'm, what I'm looking for to, um, or how, even how I use a uh, verbal classroom, um, dynamic seating, um, to teach vocabulary, mm-hmm. to teach presentations, uh, to teach other things like eye contact and, and voice volume. All of those things can be applied to uh, to a verbal, uh, classrooms, uh, environment. And, I've never really thought about it. And it's just instinct. And I have to get that down to paper. So yeah, once I get that down to paper, yeah. Uh, Dorothy says she wants to publish the book.
0: I, I, I for one, would love to see those details. I mean, the questions I've been asking you are basically details about, uh, you've done a good job of of outlining the whole verbal classrooms approach. Uh, Also, I don't call it, Verbal Classrooms. Mine has slid to uh, fluency practice. Why not? FP why is not? mine. Sure, why not? Sure.
1: Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah.
0: But but those details, definitely, I, I really am looking forward to mm-hmm. that uh, that book coming mm-hmm. out. So I, I hope that that comes together. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> I, I would like to talk to you some more, uh, a little bit about um, OTJ, hey. Online Teaching Japan, and uh, and also about technology. And um, if we can do that in another... Uh, interview, I would absolutely love oh, that. Oh, if you can tolerate for it.
1: more of me, uh, that would <laughs> just be amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm very happy to, uh, to do this for you anytime, anytime you want to.
0: You have been listening to part two of my interview with Jose Domingo Cruz. You can find related links in the show notes. This is the Youngin Cotisal Podcast. My name is Greg Lewis. Join us, won't you?
1: When people ask me those questions, it reminds me, oh yeah, that is, that's an interesting thing. And I give them the answer that I give them. I never thought about that as something that I could talk about in the book. So it stimulates my, my thinking too.